Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. Welcome back to the Altus podcast series with Marlin, Ray, and myself, Ray Wong. Today, we have once again, as part two of of our, our U.S. Um, Canadian discussion, Omar Alatore, the director of uh, research at Altus Group, again with more than a decade of experience in the industry, in the investment management and financing worlds, and Omar's focus at Altus is on macro capital market trends affecting the U.S. CRE market. In the first um, part of the 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 discussion we went with an overview of the capital markets trends um the overall flow of uh, investment activity in 2022 what we expect that in uh, 2023 north and south of the border um and we're going to continue on with our um, discussion uh, sort of the, the part two covering um the industrial and office market so Amar, welcome back again. I'm glad you actually came back for the for the for the second round. Happy to be here. Thank you. In, in Canada, it's been red hot for the last number of years. With very record low availability rates across Canada, with 20 to 30 percent increase in in land and 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 rental rates. So, Amar, what do you see in the U.S. market? Yeah, so industrial remains to be one of the, I would say, hotter segments of uh, the CRE property types in the, in the U.S., whether that's uh, based on pricing but and, and just overall demand is still there, not only for transactions, but also for, for the space itself. You still see rather uh, you know, low, so single-digit uh, vacancy across many of the major markets and the absorption is net absorption is 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 still very very strong even though the even though the property type has seen some i would say uh skepticism enter uh the the market um especially when compared to the uh 2021 it's it the fundamental there is a case across most of the major markets that uh, the fundamentals are still intact. Uh, I and then also I would say from a pricing standpoint, uh, it is one of the areas that is still uh, desirable and 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 it is not hasn't necessarily fallen off. Um, uh, you know, and and there is still transaction activity taking place. So, okay. sorry, go ahead, Maria. So this is where I go and do the negative thing. Where does this eventually end? Because like the gold rush to the Klondike, it started fantastic. It looked great until it wasn't. And the, the way I usually look at this stuff is a lot of it's driven by online shopping. And my buddy, Brian, as much as he likes to buy every tech humanly possible from Amazon, at some point, there's nothing else left for him to buy. So when does it slow down or is this like forever now? Yeah, so this is where I would I would take it, even though real estate is a uh you know it is local it's understanding assets it's understanding the market that those assets are in i actually think that to answer your question i would look at the macro level because i do think that that's where there are some bigger signals coming through there that are a little bit more concerning so on the highest level i would say 
uh, looking at house, and now I'm speaking just about U.S., right? So looking at households' financial position going into, uh, or com- sorry, coming out of the pandemic, uh, it's really the strongest financial position that the households have had ever, right? So they had large cash savings. They had low levels of uh, debt obligations. So essentially just, you know, whether it's credit card, mortgage, auto loans, uh, they were able to service that. Um, they had robust uh, investments, right? So looking across their stock portfolio, their bond portfolio, just all market, marketable securities. And that put them in a, a very high, uh, the highest kind of like net worth uh, that, that the American household has been in before. But a lot of that has started to change. We're not at, uh, you know, red flag level. But uh, as the uh, Fed started raising rates uh, in earlier in 2022, that hit a lot of the the rate sensitive assets, largely home prices, uh, which were started that those move a little bit slower, but we're starting to see some softening there, as well as marketable securities. So as as the markets became more volatile, markets and and uh, 2022's uh, year for for stocks really was a, a sell off year. And during a lot, similarly to how uh, markets will react during times of uh, stress uh, or distress, right? You, you see uh, cross asset correlations heightened. So even though the stock market was falling, diversification wasn't really possible. Uh, or you didn't get the benefit there. And so a lot of the overall, both fixed income and equity markets um, happen to lose. That hurt the the household position. You're starting to see, uh, even though the American consumer has not slowed down their spending, they were, they've been fine uh, because they were eating through a lot of the savings that they had accumulated during the pandemic. However, we're starting to see that more borrowing is needed to fuel that consumption. And on top of that, what makes this extra painful is that credit card or or installment loans, uh, which are which is how you would uh, effectively fund this if you have no cash savings, and uh, th- those rates are are at all time highs, right? Uh, and so the money that they are borrowing now to buy the thing that they wanted yesterday, today. Now just co- it costs them about five times as it mu- as much as it would if they had bought it last year. So that's a really long-winded way of saying uh, the trend. Uh, if the American consumer continues to purchase at the same rate that they have been, the way that they will be able to do that is by buying it with. Much more expensive money, and that will that will so either something like something's got to give here. Okay, so Amara, good. We're pulling it back to real estate. <laughs> the other thing you just said with respect to um, you know the, the perhaps the debt is starting to go up with with consumers, and we may see a a, a slowing because of the interest rates um, and for for industrial. Rents of again Canada have increased twenty to thirty percent, right? So you must be seeing the same thing in the U.S. with pressure points. So there's only so many increases that um, companies can can push on to consumers. Um, and is there do you see a bit of a risk there in regards to the last last sort of increases in? Um, 
in uh, rental rates and, and as, as well as the cost of some of these, especially these newer buildings with the super flat floors and the high uh, you know, automation with rocking, the cost of these buildings, right? Do you see that as a, as a bit of an issue going forward, especially for owners and investors? Yeah, and I, I would say one of the big uh, areas that is also a bit concerning. So the, at, at the high level, right, the, knowing that there is demand and the market is tight, I think that is very like that is quite supportive. But the in, really the way that I, I see industrial is that it's it is uh, this is going to become very you know market focused. And I know I I know that. Uh, I'm sure you know listeners may be rolling their eyes because I, I was always I was always told that you know real estate is you know especially commercial real estate it's idiosyncratic right like you need to understand the individual no no two assets are the same and I get that right okay so but I acknowledge that now let's we we can move on I think that the story for industrial when we're talking at the sector level is very much going to be market it's 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 they're going to, you're going to see some pretty drastic uh, differences in performance based on the market. Um, okay, Omar, and, which markets? Uh, well, one, I would say one of the tightest is, is like Inland Empire, um, whereas, you know, I, and I think that there is, uh, you know, there, there's a real, those fundamentals, I think, can support uh, and not only not only within that market, but then the, the role that the Inland Empire serves for the overall kind of like uh, supply distribution across the U.S. Okay, so what what else? What other markets do you think that is, is basically a safe bet on industrial that we shouldn't have a challenge with higher rental rates? Ooh, I'm thinking uh, New Jersey because we've heard stories with New Jersey with respect to some of the, the vacant land is actually being a little bit more in demand whereby they're keeping the goods in trailers and they're actually renting the land out to store um, goods. So that's that's actually a, uh, that I, I love that you brought this up and this is gonna be, you know, maybe not going off script here, but I, I, I think that they uh, have recently uh, learned a little bit more about, uh, it's, it's called, uh, industrial outdoor storage, so iOS, which I actually think is a pretty cool way of, uh, or it's an interesting, it's an interesting evolution or innovation of kind of a business plan of monetizing a, um, you know, monetizing a real asset uh, in, in a way that, uh, honestly, I had not thought of or really b before, but um, it's. I, and and it ultimately falls under that industrial uh, use case, but um, I think that it's pretty. That I, I happen to like that because one of the things that I'm looking at, especially across sectors now, is if we do have sticky inflation plus high cost of financing uh, and 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 or volatile markets, that means that really understanding the the uh, stability of cash flows is huge. And if your top line growth, right, and we touched on this on the the the, the prior call, is that uh, if your top line growth is maybe variable, but that expense management component is is, in my view, like really critical because you can't you can't have this volatile top line but have only steadily climbing uh, uh, expenses because that will ultimately erode kind of your overall profitability. And something like industrial, I think, has had the kind of uh, attractiveness 
because it's been, you know, relatively lower kind of expenses. Yeah, in the last two years, we've also made that shift from just-in-time to just-in-case. So those are further increasing that demand. Um, we're, I, I think we're going to put industrial into a little bit more detail with a future podcast. But before we jump over to the office side, where do you see cap rates moving? For, specifically for office? Industrial. And oh, so. Go, go into the office. <laughs> Yeah, well, I would I would refer everybody to the last episode when I went on a, a long tangent there, but uh, I think the answer is up, which is and that's as a the TLDR on this. Yeah, Perfect. The, we'll leave it at that. All right, okay. going up. Yeah. So let's move over to the office sector. So this this whole thing of going back to the office has been a big discussion for the last two and a half years. First, it was temporary. Now it looks as longer term. Now is, is a lot of discussion with the evolution of office on how we actually utilize the space. So the space itself, how we utilize it, and how the space adapts to the needs of, of the workers and companies. What are you seeing in the U.S. with respect to the office market and this battle with trying to bring employees back into the office? Yeah, so I, I think... And I'll answer the second one first, is that 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 uh, bringing employees back to the office, I think, is going to remain a, a real challenge. You have a number of firms that are taking strong stances and saying, you know, we're expecting you back in th- at three days, but you get two remote. Some come in saying that you effectively like, you know, they want their employees back the entire time. But so long as we have uh, kind of stubbornly low participation in the labor market, plus uh you know, even though you've heard about like layoffs, the, the labor market is still in the U.S. is still super tight uh, and employee costs. So the cost of labor is still climbing higher and is just expensive. The remote option for a lot of employers is will remain a a uh, benefit of sorts. It's a non-monetary benefit that they so that they can put out there to attract uh, employees. So I do think that it's going to be tricky to force everybody back to the office. Um, and then on that, what that like for office, if uh, looking at the most recent castle data, it, you know, if, if really occupancy is right around kind of 50. Oh, sorry, Amara, oh, the, the castle data is a security pass cards or what is that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. It's uh, they do the security passes on a lot of buildings and they put out these uh, weekly reports um, and they, Break it out because apparently lawyers are very different. They, uh, but <laughs> lawyers, l- lawyers are always in the office apparently. So, um, but uh, I, I guess I, so. The occupancy right now, if you you know squint your eyes over these reports, right, it's, it's roughly in that 50 percent range across the big cities. Which pre-pandemic, uh, you had you know really in that seventy to eighty percent, and so that's a, that's a big drop right there. Before the pandemic, remote work existed, but it just wasn't adopted. Pandemic happens, it, it, it fast forwards behavioral changes that on their own bef- before would have taken years and years to kind of like play out. But yeah. w- the adoption was very fast. That has shifted where the ne- office market now looks over dramatically oversupplied. Now, now we we know that the the return back to the office is relatively low, right? 
Yes. What, what do you think going forward with um, demand for space? Do we need still need office? And then get this gets into Marlon's comments that from a performance standpoint or ROI standpoint, does it, do these buildings sort of make sense uh, down the road with respect to supply and demand? Yeah, so I do think we still need uh, offices, uh, I, but I also think that we're dramatically oversupplied. Um, now, how that, uh, I guess, how the office, uh, like what what do we do with the oversupply? You know what, I think it is also based on a region, right? I think a place like Nashville has a little bit more, you have a younger population and same thing with our Calgary office, but you know, people, I, 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 I'm now talking about the Calgary market, which has, it still has about 30% office vacancy rate, but it's it's improving. But then I'm, I'm always reminded, it's still 30% office vacancy rate, but there's a lot of young people in there and it's becoming dynamic. So same thing with Nashville. I think there's a demand for, uh, for, for office there just because of the lifestyle, uh, the number of young people have demographical shifts. But I think something like uh, the larger markets, where you Chicago's and New York's, which not just have problems pe bringing people back into the office, but they also have a two-hour commuting problem that Marlon and I have in Toronto. What, right? Yeah. The cities, that's the problem. Really bad transit systems that don't function. Yeah. So when you look at that from that perspective, Omar, where do you? It's 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 it's, it's a difficult question to ask, and we're not asking for what the total answer is. But is is there thinking of of possible direction on the on the some of the positives and negatives on the office front? And then we'll yeah, get into your Capri question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do think that there are some positives, especially if you fall. So. In the last couple of years, right, you have seen big migration. Uh, there have been a number of places that have seen huge inf influxes uh, and others out outflows of, of uh, you know, residents, right? And so a lot of those, a lot of those uh, markets. I'm thinking of like the Austins. I'm thinking of Miami's that have seen huge growth. Those I think are certainly under whether it's undersupplied or they they they've been able they will be able to um, uh, you know essentially have enough demand uh, for 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 office space. Um, others, yeah, I you know I, I uh, am a very proud New Yorker, right? Uh, and and uh, I, I do, but I do I do think that there is a you know. It's going to be tough to to just justify, um, you know, whether it's prices, values, or just you know, cash flows remaining the same. You know, remaining the same when uh, half the half the use um, or half the demand has been really wiped out. So, uh, but I know that that's also, especially like in New York, right? That's on our mayor's uh, you know radar. Uh, in I think it was January, he announced you know uh, plan to uh, support conversions. Of uh, empty office to uh, other uses, in, including like residential. But Marlon, I mean, you could, you could probably chime in on this of like the the practicality of those conversions. No, it's very low. But I mean, th the other way to look at it, though, doesn't this move into a state that's natural anyway? In that the older buildings that don't aren't fit for use anymore, that culling them actually makes natural sense. So in essence, we get rid of the garbage. 
And the tier A stuff that meets high ESG standards, well, in the states that haven't banned the word ESG yet, but places where ESGs recognize those tier A buildings, that they'll then maintain the value because we get rid of the stuff below them. So that oversupply vanishes and it may be conversion, it might be replacing it. I think part of the challenge we're going to see on replace now is obviously with ESG, the carbon. Okay, if I demolish a building, I've done all that waste. Well, that's good. But if the building's useless, the building's useless. There's no way of solving that problem. And the office conversion, what, like one in 10 maybe, if you're lucky, you've got any suitability, and even then it's difficult and huge risk. But to me, I think it's a natural sense that we just got to make sure one of the problems we have in Toronto is if you tear down an office building, you have to replace that work use on the same site, even if the site is the most ridiculously useless site in the history of mankind. They still force you to do it just so they can tick a box. I think if we had planning change and policy that promoted this natural evolution of office, the office will just evolve. The tier A buildings will be in demand. They'll still have those higher rents they can claim. It's just the garbage vanishes from the bottom of the food chain on that asset type. So, Mark, cap rates, direction. I'm going to predict this one. He's going to say up. <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, okay. See, I knew that was coming. <laughs> okay. I think we're going to explore a little bit more with some of the similarities and differences with the U.S. and Canadian markets going forward. So I think we're going to have Omar back for uh, at least a few more sessions to to uh, expand on this discussion. But thank you very much again uh, for round two, Omar, and thank you for actually coming back. Not very many people do. So this is a, I thought this is a really good, um, interesting episode on office and industrial trends. So again, thank you very much for everyone attending and listening to this podcast. So we'll see you for the next one. Cheers, Omar. Cheers, Ray. Cheers. Yeah. Bye.